Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the podcast where we ask experts the big questions that we ought to know the answer to, but come on, we've been busy. I'm Danielle Ward, and joining me today to talk about tourism is Dr. James Cannell, Principal Lecturer in Tourism, Events and Hospitality at Greenwich University. Hello. Hello. And asking the questions with me are comedians Nat Tapley and Jessica Vosticue. Hello. 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 I apologise, first of all. I've got a very croaky voice. Um, I'm trying to be sexy. You know how old witches are sexy. Ooh, that sexy cackle. That's what I'm going for. Anyway, hi, James. Nice to have you here. Hello, thank you. All right, so here's the first question I want to ask you. Why do people visit the UK? Why? Why? Oh, God. When you ask visitors why they come to the UK, the mm-hmm. things they tend to say are the history, the heritage, the football... I mean, all the obvious things about the UK, the things that we never talk about when we talk about marketing the UK are the kind of the weather yeah. and the food and the quite bad welcome that people get. And it seems that none of those seem to affect people. They still want to come anyway. I will pull you off on this food thing. Yeah. Yeah. So... I went to America and the Americans are all going, oh, British food's so disgusting, isn't it? Our American food's great. American food is weapons-grade disgusting. (laughs) And they give you loads of it. And they give you loads of it. They add mayonnaise to anything, then call it salad. That's just salad. That's not a salad. I mean, maybe it's living in London. London food's really good. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot now with, like, markets and street foods and pop-ups and that sort of thing. And and you get a certain kind of tourist who will come to London, especially for the food, because they come because we've got all these Michelin-starred restaurants or we've got Borough Market and and that sort of thing. But generally, the English food that people come for is afternoon tea, cream tea, scones... That sort of thing. Yeah. Fish and chips. Mm. Fish and chips. People love fish and chips and they don't care whether it's by the seaside. What? Well, they're they just, wrong on that they, they, they just think that it's fish unacceptable and chips, anywhere else. And they, they think that fish and chips is something you can eat anywhere and especially in London. So that they will happily come and queue up at you know, what we'd think of as quite a grotty kebab shop because it also does fish and chips and feel like they're getting an authentic British experience. Yeah, yeah fish mm. and chips maybe. But, so which bits of the UK are the really sexy bits to foreigners? When, <laughs> when they're like, I want to come to the UK, yeah. apart from London. The only real reason people come to the UK is for London. Yeah, like, even, re- though, <laughs> yeah. even though... But yeah. this is, is it yeah, true? Because surely, like looking, at, like, looking at the President of the United States tweets, and come yeah. on, he is a voice of reason, you'd think London was a big, violent shithole. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, luckily, no one believes Donald Trump about anything. Okay. So that's that. Well, well, apart from millions of Americans, yeah. but that that doesn't seem to be putting people off. Other places are popular. So the Lake District is important because people associate it with poetry and beauty and those sorts of things. Yeah. Lots of people want to come to Scotland, especially Germans. Germans <laughs> love Scotland. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. What's the What's the connection? What's... There, there was a story written. I can't remember the name of it, but, but in the nineteenth century, and it was a kind of a myth about the founding of Scotland and the links to the links to Europe and Northern Europe and Germany and these ancient warrior traditions, and it just became part of the kind of German so the equivalent of the national curriculum. So Germans grew up reading these yeah, stories about Scotland. Scotland and learning about Scotland. So one of Scotland's biggest source markets is Germans. Wow. So it's like everyone in this country reading Tintin and deciding to go to Belgium, Belgium. all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and exactly. If I did an Edinburgh show next year in German, would oh, that have a big audience? Yeah, they'd love it. They'd absolutely love it. <laughs> do that. Should definitely. definitely do. I mean, yeah. I don't speak yeah. German, but I could put some sausages on my knees or something. Yeah. That's what they... Yeah, it's just some German flyers. But Scotland is gorgeous, though. Yeah. Scotland get, I don't know why Scotland gets... Scotland's beautiful. A... Yeah, I don't think that's as embarrassing as no. England. What about Stonehenge? Yeah, people do like... Stonehenge. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. their favourite henge. It's, it's, it's the best of all the henges. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the kind of marketing that Visit Britain do and the images they use, it's lots of stuff in London and then it's Stonehenge, it's some Scottish stuff. It's a bit of Bath and the Roman oh, Baths, yeah. even though the Roman Baths aren't Roman, they're Victorian. No one really talks about that. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a bit of... Cozy- so it's got the same ring to it, doesn't <laughs> no, it? Victorian no. baths. Yeah. 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 sound like somewhere you'd go and feel very shy about not wearing enough. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, bit, there's a bit of seaside stuff. You know, there's quite a lot of nice pictures of the coast. But generally, it's, it's London that's the, big, that's the big draw. You go to the British coast and you don't tend to meet people that aren't from Britain. <laughs> Yeah. They have, they've seen other it's, coasts. Yeah. They're aware that this isn't a very good coast. Do people, go, do people still go to Blackpool on holiday? Millions of people go to Blackpool yeah. on holiday. Blackpool's but there are other British people, popular. right? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a domestic tourism destination. I mean, they have other things going on. So they have a conference centre, they have music venues. They do have things that bring in international tourists. But primarily, it's still doing the same job it did 200 years ago, which is it's a domestic tourism destination for people in the UK. And huge heroin problem. Yeah, like most seaside towns. Yeah, because it's floating on rafts. I don't know. I don't know anything about heroin. <laughs> Nat, have you got a question? I do have a question. People say the Queen brings in lots of tourism. Mm. So would it be worth our while investing off in five or six new queens? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you had five or six new queens, if they all looked like the same yeah. queen and you put them strategically around the country... Mm-hmm. One in Birmingham, one in... Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of tourists who would never know they hadn't seen the genuine queen. So, so that might work. An you could, army of queen lookalikes. You, you could give everyone the chance to see the queen because tourists are always disappointed when they go to Buckingham Palace mm. and everyone's looking to work out where the flag is and is she in, is she oh. out. So, yeah, you could position ersatz queens everywhere and shuttle people around. But, yeah, the, the royal family is kind of important for tourism. That's why I think we need yeah. more of them, no, more but, royal families. But nobody really knows how important the royal family is for tourism because... Well, there are lots of different reasons. One of the main reasons is it's really hard to find out because it's not really in anyone's interest to give you the access to the information, to the statistics, because what if you find out they're not important to tourism? Mm. Oh. That would be uh, very sad. That would be very, that would be very sad, and a lot yeah. of people would get They'd probably really go about upset. a week until they're murdered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there are, no, there are no real figures out there. When there are surveys done of tourists in the UK and they're asked, did you go to a royal property 
were you interested in the royal family? Then everyone says yes. Mm. No one really asks, were the royal family the main reason you came to the UK? It tends to be that the royal thing is just kind of in the mix. Because you don't have to get rid of the palaces. I mean, they've still got Versailles in France, even though they cut their king's head off. Yeah. 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 And even if we had the kind of smouldering ruins of Buckingham Palace after a revolution... I'd go and see that. I'd go and see that, yeah, exactly. I love a ruin. And I guess also, like, the Queen has been around for so long, it's quite exciting to go and see. Is she, like, the oldest living monarch, longest reigning monarch who is alive? I think so. And so that's really exciting. When she goes and you've got Charles... Yeah. It feels like a slightly less sexy proposition. <laughs> yeah, you can't quite see people flocking to listen to him and see him, but... But there was this... Right, so the, I don't know if you noticed, there was a really big wedding uh, recently <laughs> of a ginger man and a beautiful woman. Do people come to the UK just to line the streets for a wedding? Is that a thing that happens? Some people do. There's no doubt about that. We do get some <laughs> tourists who come just for the royal wedding. Yeah. And they're the kind of people who are probably at home have kind of all the plates and all the tea towels and they're just, they're waiting for this. And some tourists will time their visit to the UK to coincide with something like this. And the royal family are really good at staging these things at a really regular period. So there's a wedding and then there's a jubilee and then there's an anniversary and then there's some kind of other event. And so actually lots of tourists will come, but we're not talking massive, massive numbers and if those tourists didn't come, it wouldn't really make any difference to UK tourism. And we had the FA Cup final on the same day, yeah. where you have like 90,000 people coming to Wembley Stadium and millions of people watching it on television, and it's broadcast all around the world, and none of it's funded through the public sector yeah. at all. But no-one says, oh, what a brilliant thing it is that we have this for, for tourism. But nobody cried at the FA Cup. Oh, I don't know, but Man United fans, maybe. Jessica, <laughs> have you got a question? Is it true that there's more money in tourism than in oil, food or cars mm. now? And if that's the case, and we've got now a president of the US that's made his money in tourism, or some of it anyway, will we start to see more leaders from the tourism industry... What I'm really asking is, is Deborah Mead in the next PM? <laughs> <laughs> would, she, would she do a worse job? Who um, knows? Celebrity politicians. I mean, some people will try and claim that the tourism industry is worth more than arms and mm. medicine and things like this. It's probably not. I mean, it's, it's definitely not in the not UK. Not real, certainly. Yeah. The yeah. Right. Medicine's definitely, yeah. More yeah, definitely more important. <laughs> tourism is probably the fourth or fifth biggest industry in the world. It's responsible for around one in ten jobs in the world, directly and indirectly. In the UK, it's responsible for about 8% of GDP, which probably puts it around the same as construction. Mm -hmm. But when you compare it to shipping or the arms industry, it's nowhere near. And the big problem for people trying to research it is that it's really hidden. When you walk around London, it's quite hard to see who's a tourist, who's a local... If you look at a business in central London, if you look at a restaurant, how many of their customers are tourists? How many of their customers are domestic? How many of them are international? It's actually really hard to get mm. a solid number for tourism, but about one in 10 jobs in the world for tourism. That's so amazing. it's really significant. And that's one of the challenges with trying to get people to take tourism seriously is getting this number across. Is there a more stark contrast between who's a tourist and who's not? When you're not in a big city then, I'm from a seaside town. Yeah. And um, mm. it's really obvious when it's the summer or not. Yeah. yeah. Who's a tourist yeah. and who's not. It's yeah. school who's holidays. Who's and who looks certainly <laughs> yeah. miserable. Who looks yeah. like they're enjoying yeah. themselves. Yeah. In cities, it's, it, in big metropolitan in. cities, it's virtually impossible to tell. In some countries, when you go on holiday, you have to hand in your passport 
at the hotel and they take a photocopy of it and all the tourist businesses are registered. We don't have that in the UK. So if you want to start a business dealing with tourists, you don't have to tell anyone. You mm. can just do it. So other countries have a better handle on how many tourists they get, where they stay, where they spend their money. We don't really know in the UK. But then, I, so I work in Greenwich and in the summer, it's really clear that Greenwich is absolutely rammed with tourists and it kind of doesn't matter whether you can see who the tourists are or not what matters is that it's really busy and mm -hmm. you can't get into the pubs and you can't get a table in the restaurant and there's nowhere to park your car so yeah. you know when the tourists are there you can't but you can't always spot them couldn't you just keep watching the entrance to m&m world those people are <laughs> definitely the tourists the mysterious <laughs> m&m world yeah i live here at st pancras international where ah. the eurostar comes for people who didn't know that and sometimes what I like to do is buy a croissant from the Marks and Spencers, sit on a bench with my eyes shut, and it's like being in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It's always lots of French people. But it's nicer than being in Paris. Yeah, I mean... No, the other end is not so good for yeah. the uh, Gardenor. I mean, London's done really well out of the Eurostar. Yeah. When you come off the Eurostar as a tourist... You feel like London is full of amazing shops and it's beautiful, it's beautiful and there's it? some someone there just playing a random piano. Yeah. And so, whereas you get off the train in Gardenor and it's much more like there are three guys with machine guns and you're a little bit scared and the taxi drivers are all screaming at you. Yeah. It's different, different proposition. Slightly different vibe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Less romantic, if anything, ironically. <laughs> yeah, ironically. <laughs> subject of tourism because it seems like it's this very nebulous thing mm. tourism so how much tourism is centrally planned with visit england signs and subsidies etc mm. and how much is just a farmer putting some strawberries on a hay bale <laughs> saying come and visit strawberry land one of the big challenges of for tourism planners is that it's really, really hard to control tourism. So you have people like Visit Britain, Visit England, and then at the local level, Visit Kent, Visit Yorkshire, and people trying really hard, not necessarily to control tourism, but to work out where it goes, where needs the tourism. People thinking about, should we have a hotel built here? Is that going to be good for local people? Is it all right to have these kind of businesses in this area? There are lots of people trying really hard to control this sort of thing, but then yeah. there is nothing stopping a farmer from just opening up something random, calling it a tourist attraction, putting yeah. up a sign and diverting all your tourists. There's a government department responsibility for tourism. There's a minister for tourism. The funding for all of that has been cut really hard in the last 10 years, like, like everything. And yeah. tourism is a really soft target as you'd expect. I mean, government's got to think about hospitals and education, all these kind of things. So the cuts to tourism are really hard. So that means that in places like Cornwall, where, you, you know, Cornwall is outside of London, is the most important tourist destination in the UK. Cornwall had, you know, 10, 15 people employed, managing tourism, marketing tourism, running visitor centres, putting up signs, running websites. And that's basically been reduced down to one really enthusiastic, really great guy and his van. And he's doing a fantastic job of promoting tourism. But you'd think that tourism in areas like that must be really, really well managed. Yeah. Whereas actually, to some extent, like, the government's kind of forgotten about it. That seems a bit bonkers, really. I mean, not been gone to the trouble of inventing the word staycation. Yeah. And then abandoned it. Well, staycation was great when the economic crisis was kicking off in 2007, 2008, because it was a really great way of saying, like, you can't afford to go abroad, but have you thought about going to Skeggy? Like, it, keeping your money here keep, yeah. keep your money here was a positive thing for the economy but mm. more realistically it was you can't afford to take your money anywhere else mm. yeah. so try and make a virtue of it it's, it's no coincidence that we have kind of glamping 
at the same time, kind of luxury camping holidays. Butlins did really well. Holiday camps did really well at that period. But yeah, now that's all kind of disappearing a little bit as people have got a little bit more money in their pockets. All of that stuff seems to be vanishing. Is it really a virtue if people end up at the Jamaican Museum, which is essentially just a cabinet full of smuggling stuff? (laughs) <laughs> and they say, come in, pay some money, and you do, and you go in, it's just one box, and you go, oh. Yeah. yeah what's the, so you know how, like, most of the really the really excellent museums you don't have to pay to get into? Mm. And it seems like the worse <laughs> the museum is, the more you have to pay to get into it. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, the, na- the national museums in um, 1999, I think, were all made free. Yeah. And you know, we're paying for them through our taxes and there's a lot of public funding that goes into it and we're, we're paying for it, which doesn't happen in a lot of our countries. But if you were running a, a local museum somewhere, maybe a niche museum somewhere, what happened was that no one had any obligation to fund you anymore, really, because all right. the money went to the big people. So, yeah, you have to pay £2 to go into the, the Rope Museum yeah. and see how people used to So Blair's to government it. did that? Yeah, yeah. Right. And they were kind of golden days as a... Tourism researcher. Not for like, the Rope Museum. Not, <laughs> not for the Rope Museum. Yeah. Rope no. enthusiasts suffering but, since 99. the money that was there for tourism at the time, and it was all tied around this kind of cool Britannia thing, and we yeah. were this open country, and come and mm. see all this fantastic stuff, and we haven't got Thatcher anymore, and we've got rid of all the mines, and now we've converted them into industrial heritage museums and opened up all these abandoned warehouses. as yeah. like, fantastic. Come like, and see Oasis at the Pyramid Centre, all that business. Yeah. Come and see the Blue Tones. Exactly, and the, the Millennium <laughs> Dome, yeah. and all this stuff. So, yeah, there was... Tourism was taken really seriously then. Not so much now. Does anybody regulate things for tourists in this country? So, for example, you know how... Every winter, there's always the Winterval experiences, and it's just like a, a thin man in a red cape and his his small underfed reindeer. Yeah. But you know these things happen. Yeah. And they charge like yeah. come come and experience it. Yeah. Does anybody regulate that at all? No, not at all. There's nothing to stop you setting up a Christmas experience in your front room really? and putting up Excellent. a sign and, and getting tourists in. I mean, if you're in Thailand, for instance, yeah. you have to have a license to be a tourism business. Yeah. And the local tourist authority will check you out. They will manage the quality of what you're doing. If they don't like it, they will shut you down. Yeah. But here we have this free market approach and anyone can do anything, really. So if you want to open a hotel, yeah. well, there's planning law yeah. to do that, but it's not tourism law. Yeah. If you want to open a restaurant, well, you have to get the right kind of planning permission and you have to get your health and safety certificate. But it's not a tourism thing mm. yeah. so no there's there's no one actually saying this is a good tourism experience to have and this is a bad one if i was a tourist and i and i came over to the uk and i'd taken the kids to sad lapland sad Lap- <laughs> sad santa town yeah. and i've paid like my 25 quid each so I've paid 75 quid mm. to come there is there any sort of like law that i can that's on my side as a tourist to get that money back from this crazy old man there's consumer protection Legislation. So yeah. if they were promising an experience that they didn't deliver, yeah. so if they said there would be a Father Christmas and there was no Father Christmas, then you could claim your money back. Yeah. But if you're a tourist, yeah. are you really going to go to the small claims court and do that sort of thing? Or if you, know, if you go to someone and it says it's a fantastic experience for all the family yeah. and some of your family don't enjoy it, how do you measure that? It's really difficult. So no, no, there's, there's, there's nothing. As you're one of your biggest recourses in that in that free market way that it's being done at the moment to leave lots of horrible online reviews. Yeah, I mean, is that, that probably one yeah. of the most powerful things? Yeah. What, most what, ways in which the consumer is most empowered when it comes to tourists? Yeah, and that in the kind of hospitality industry, yeah. that is one of the hottest Huge. topics at the moment. Is how do you deal with the fact that customers can walk out 
and then destroy you yeah. online. And maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong or maybe they work for the business down the road mm-hmm. who wants to destroy you. And there's lots of people paid a lot of money to try and manage the online reputation of places yeah. like this. So hotels will employ people to respond to TripAdvisor reviews and it's mainly... TripAdvisor, they will contact people and try and uh, follow up their problems and then try and get them to come back and post a positive review. There's a move in a lot of restaurants to say we will only like deal with reviews where you take a photo of your receipt and upload it to your site and things like this. See, I find TripAdvisor really interesting because I don't don't look at it. I think it's ridiculous. My my father-in-law, when he was trying to find somewhere for us to go out for Christmas dinner, found a place on TripAdvisor. He was like, this place is really highly rated. And I was like... Mate, that is a horrible restaurant. I've been there. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a grotty yeah. little... Oh, it's not a good <laughs> yeah. restaurant. Why does anybody even look at TripAdvisor? Because it yeah. just seems, like, absolutely random. But when people come... When you go to a new destination, it can be really confusing, especially if mm. there are things in different languages and you don't understand the items on the menu. And and you can go on TripAdvisor in your own language yeah. and see something reassuring that makes you feel like... People like me liked that place yeah it's like having a bit mm. of a tour guide but you know what, what i want when i'm looking at hotels is i want filter buttons that say like take all the americans out of this review yeah. because they're obsessed with check-in take the brits out because they're just really obsessed with breakfast in a hotel and if they don't like the breakfast <laughs> they will slate the hotel like, i want the reviews from like the dutch and the italians because they seem to just have a much more balanced view of what eating is about and what a hotel is like. and But you don't get those yeah. filters, so you're left with this yeah. big long list of one star, one star, one star. And then when you look a bit, it's like, I went to my room and I, there was only three towers and I'd expect four, one star. Yeah. And it's pointless. Yeah. A friend was telling me that he was looking for a hotel somewhere to go with his boyfriend and um, it had the one-star review and he's the kind of guy who reads one-star reviews first, which I think is all <laughs> wrong. And it said it was full of gays. Oh. Wow. So he's like, so we knew it was perfect for us. <laughs> <laughs> and, mo- and most people are still booking their, their holidays through the big travel agencies mm. and through the big tour operators. Uh, it's very easy to get into this view that what we're all doing now is we book our flights at one place and we're really price sensitive and we work out where the cheapest flights are and then we look at TripAdvisor and we find a really good hotel or we find this boutique Airbnb property and then we do this. But actually, most people still go to the TUI website, the Thomas Cook website. They search by price and weather and then they book whatever has the best weather at the lowest price. Mm. And those sites, they have their own reviews, which they're editing, so you yeah. can mm. get a sense, you know, you get a sense of, why they're putting them up there. Sometimes they have a bit of TripAdvisor integration, but you're never really sure how, to tr- how much to trust it. But most people are really booking price and weather are the two main things. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial. 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Given that the tourism industry may be responsible for the end of mankind in the next century with the catastrophic rise in sea levels, um, where's the best value beach holiday one could get this year if one hadn't booked, say? <laughs> I mean, yeah, tourism is completely unsustainable as an industry. Right. Like almost every other Mm-hmm. bit of capitalism it consumes more resources than it can ever create it has all kinds of negative impacts but more coastline you are making more coastline by raising the sea levels yeah i mean it's gonna be fantastic for blackpool yeah yeah, yeah and just making different coastlines yeah mm. yeah <laughs> and but you're gonna, slightly further in you've got destinations like the maldives where you know 80 of their islands are going to be underwater that's a massive challenge for them as a destination. How do you cope? But yeah. then other places are going to do incredibly well. So places like Albania, yeah. who are already seeing a rise in tourism, their climate is going to get more and more favourable and become more like a kind of North African climate for them. That gives them a massive opportunity to expand. So winners and, winners and losers. My fear is that this is going to mean more and more cruise ships, which mm. in turn yeah. is the worst possible mm. thing for the environment. Mm. So it's just going to exacerbate the problem. I mean, yeah. if climate change goes the way it's going, <laughs> yeah. and they are, they're building more and more super cruise yeah. ships than ever before. Yeah. And they are, like, environmentally and in, in terms of who are on them, an 100% moral vortex. But then if we are all herded <laughs> onto floating city-states, then at least there won't be a big distinction between being on holiday and not. It'll all be the same. Mm. Oh, the you sound disease. like someone who's worked on a cruise ship. Yeah, I've <laughs> Do you do comedy on a cruise ship? Just it? taught an entire show about how disastrous it was called The Silence of the Nans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. I've never been on a cruise. I, I'd like to go as a researcher mm. because I think it would be interesting... But I'd like to be able to go have a look and then get off when I chose. I don't think I'd want to be trapped on there for a long time. But cruise is the fastest growing part of the tourism industry. And I think when I, you know, when I was growing up, a cruise was something that people's parents saved their whole lives for. Yeah. And then they blew their retirement money on it. Yeah. Now, cruises are there and are affordable and are just a kind of mass tourism product. And you can go on a Disney cruise. You can go on all kinds of different themed cruises. Some of them are super luxury. Some of them are really budget. And linked with global warming, new destinations are coming online as well. It's like cruising to the Arctic Circle is a massive growth area. See, I'd love to... Mm. I don't get cruises at all. It just seems like a a, a hive of disease. Yeah, it is. Well, it is. And awful people. But cruising to the Arctic Circle does does sound pretty cool. And and there might be more sustainable forms of cruise in the future. I don't want to sound like I'm an apologist for the cruise industry, but I don't think it's going away. Yeah. Battery power, not like Duracell battery power, but Mm. these massive new storage batteries maybe that will help, certainly with the polluting effects Mm -hmm. of tourism. And places like the Caribbean, where lots of the smaller islands are really inaccessible and they don't have any industry going on at all, really, other than cruise tourism, bringing thousands of people in one go to them on a boat actually is a massive economic benefit for those places. So 
Depends on the people. No. Yeah. Yeah, like, really. I don't know if you know this. Back before cruises were powered by, you know, pollutants, they used to have these things called sails. <laughs> they just wander around the globe using the power of God. Yeah. Is there no go back to that? And then, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of them had slaves in the galley as well. Yeah. <laughs> that Someone's rowing. But, yeah. you know, if we all took a turn, we all did half an hour a day <laughs> down in the bottom. I mean, there is probably someone now somewhere in North London coming up with a vintage sail experience. So tourist destinations, do they enjoy stag and hen parties or do they hate the fact that this happens? (laughs) I used to live in Brighton and it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. Cities like Prague. Beautiful Prague. Beautiful, Mm. quiet, sleepy Prague, yeah. They made a conscious decision as a destination in the kind of mid-90s to go for stag and hen parties. Yeah because they could get low-cost flights, they could bring in loads of people, and actually, those people spent lots of money. You didn't have to spend a lot of money looking after them, because they didn't really want that much, or wouldn't really notice if they did have a nice room or not. It's just cheap. And now, they're really struggling to say, no, we're about heritage and history and culture, and the food is great, and we've got craft beer and these kind of things. But yeah, lots of destinations (laughs) love stag and hen parties, just like some destinations love golf tourism. Destinations like high-spending tourists... Even and, at the expense, because like like Tallinn looks so beautiful, yeah. And I just think it would be full of horrible yeah. men. Mm. Yeah. But if you were that kind of man and you were going on a stag party, yeah. And you know it's going to be full of other stag parties and loads of lads having a brilliant time. Yeah. You might think that's the best place to go. Yeah. I do. And that's you know, there are lots of alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're mm. choosing some, when you're as a tourist, when you're choosing somewhere to go. These places, we talk about product substitution and tourism. Like, you, you don't want to go to Tallinn because it's full of stag parties, but you might go to St. Petersburg because actually that's on the same kind of circuit but is more cultural and historical and has those kind of things going on. Actually, the product when you get there is, is quite similar. It's yeah. the same kind of prices, the flight time's not very different, all this kind of stuff. You don't have to go to these places where the stag parties are. And lots of places see them as a way to get loads of money in quickly. But then I think you get a kind of buyer's regret kicking in yeah. 10 years later, where actually you realise that you now have a workforce that only really knows how to deal with stag parties. There's a lot of stuff that you've made me think of there in the news at the moment about how 18 to 30 packages are going under and 18 to 30 mm, companies yes. are selling their that brand because millennials aren't buying into that. Is that something... Well, it's never put Brits off before, I don't think. But Yeah, why is eighteen to thirty dying? Um, Because when I was younger, that I mean it's never really attracted me, but I'm not a very sexual person. Like, uh, yeah. like some people that I went to school with, they yeah. could not wait to turn 18 yeah. to go on Club 1830 yeah. holidays. Yeah, it's gone out of fashion. And it's just, there are lots of trends in the tourism industry and it's just one of those things that has just gone out gone really? out of fashion. <laughs> it used to be that if you were 18, you were either going to buy an interrail ticket because you had that kind of background and that kind of school where people Middle said, class. you're basically going and doing the grand tour around Europe on a budget. Yeah. Or you were 18, you were going to Magaluf. And that kind of split people. Now there are so many more options and people are so much more used to travelling. It's so much more accessible. It's so much cheaper that 18 to 30 and interrail, they're just just little bits of a market and you can do so many different things. But then also, young people just don't have any money. Yes. If your product is aimed at 18 to 30-year-olds, well, you're aiming at the market that has the lowest disposable income in Europe. 
we have a lot of students with us who, who they, they work on kind of developing business plans and developing new business ideas. And because they're young, they always think, I want to aim this product at people like me. Yeah. And we're constantly saying to them, they're like, go for the over 50s. Because yeah. they've got the disposable income, they've got, got all the, the houses. time, they own the houses, yeah, exactly, yeah. So but they can do with this stuff. You're suggesting that we come up with some sort of Viagra holiday, which is like Club 1830, <laughs> but for the 65 plus, yeah, and it's basically booze and sex. Yeah, cru- cruises. Yeah. yeah. Cruises. Yeah. They can say that they die. Yeah. 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 That seems like an open goal. Yeah, and, you know, you, and a lot of places you go to, like, like Southeast Asia, you can quite easily stumble into expat communities who are all retirees and they've got their pension from France and they're living in Bali. And, yeah, they are the ones who are going to these exotic destinations and living the kind of backpacker lifestyle and having the parties and having the fun and maybe having the sex. It wasn't that kind of holiday for me. But, um, <laughs> but Old people love sex, yeah, I'll they say do. it there. Yeah. <laughs> but they're off doing these things and young people just, just aren't so much. Do you have another question, Jess? I've always wanted to know why are hotels so expensive to sleep in, but the staff are all either on minimum wage or are child slaves? <laughs> <laughs> my first, I grew up in a touristy town, as I said, my first few jobs were on yeah. £3 an hour and under. In where, where did you grow hotels. up? Swanage and Dorset. Oh, okay, mm. okay. My first job was in a hotel. Yeah. Uh, Hotels, hospitality is really good at creating low-paid, entry-level, low-skill jobs. And that's important because... it's actually a very skillful chambermaid. <laughs> <laughs> I was a really bad waiter. But um, <laughs> that's, it's really important to have those things in the economy because not everybody has postgraduate education and not everybody can work full-time. People have different kinds of responsibilities. So you can create jobs that can be part-time and low-skill. That can be really important. So, that's the, so there are lots of low-skill jobs in hotels, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think I don't mean just the low-skill jobs. Mm. I worked in a very successful, packed hotel yeah. that had huge weddings in it and stuff yeah. and a very popular, very good re- like restaurant that mm. wasn't just for guests. Mm. And even the head chef and that mm. guy that was running the whole, you know, the manager yeah. and stuff, the owners must have been raking Rake. it in. Mm. Was that? And, and that felt like that was. I got the mm. impression from my seniors that weren't the owners that that's just what happens in hospitality. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how Tesco runs as well. I yeah. suppose if you're 16 and you get a job in a hotel and it's a local independent hotel mm. run by a local businessman, the profit margins are actually really tiny. Okay. Really? Like, hotels are really expensive to run and they're empty most of the time. In London, if your hotel is 50% full, you're doing really well. If it's 80% full, you're probably having all kinds of crises because you haven't got enough staff to run it. Is that because of the proliferation of Airbnb and people privately renting out there that cities are struggling like that? Or is that just because it's a bit chicken and egg? Like, they mm. can't keep them full because people have got so many options. Yeah. It's so that, they have to keep themselves really expensive. It, it, it's that. It's that. It's that actually building a hotel is a massive sunk cost. It costs you millions to, to construct. Like if you're building a hotel from scratch, buying the land, in, like installing everything, fitting it out, it all has to be super high spec and most of the time it's going to be empty. So hotel rooms, going back to what you said, hotel rooms are often really, really expensive mm. because they're trying to pull back all these really sunk costs. And the easiest way to cut your costs is on your staff. Okay. On the other side of things, you can get hotel rooms really, really cheaply if you know how to do it. 
Tell me how yeah, do you do, do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you, could, like, you just have to spend hours on websites and like you have to just be really geeky about it and know the right times to what, book. What, like booking.com yeah, and all, all of those, those things? If you, What's it, the right time to book? Tuesdays. That's the same for flights. Are you serious? Well, Everyone's just going to write this down now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Tuesdays, yeah. Yeah, people don't tend to book on a Tuesday. You get better offers on Tuesdays. You get really bad offers at impulse buying times, kind of like one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning when people have come home and think, yeah, let's go on holiday. You get really bad offers then. That's when I finish work, so I often do it then. And you have to clear the cookies. Yeah, finishing work, lunch breaks. Don't never book anything in your lunch break. You have to clear the cookies as well from your search engine because it knows that you've been back to the website. Yeah, people say that. All the research says that's probably not true. But one thing that does seem to work is if you just kind of leave stuff in your basket and then don't do anything and then you get an email a week later saying, oh, we've noticed you've been to our website, here's a 10% discount. That happens quite a lot. Mm. But hotels have this massive operating cost, which means that if they are really empty, they'd rather have you pay in paying 50% of the cost than have nothing in Yeah, because they've got mm. their staff and so on. Yeah, But that doesn't get around the fact that some of those jobs are really poorly paid. Some mm. of them are on zero hours contracts and that sort of thing. And that's, that's all just awful. That just yeah. shouldn't happen. But, uh, you know, capitalism. Jessica, have you got a final question? I've got a final question. Um, why does foreign cash feel so very, very much easier and more fun to spend? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've only got a really pseudo-intellectual answer to this, I'm afraid. That's fine. Because the the simple answer is because most of the time we've had a drink and it's always easier to spend money when you've had a drink. But I think the kind of researchy answer is a a lot of people talk about this idea that when you're on holiday, you're not at home, you're not at work, you're in some kind of weird middle ground. Mm. And people talk about it as these kind of liminal experiences or these carnivalesque experiences. What is liminal mean? So liminal is this idea that you're, you're not in one position or another. So a, a limin is a Latin word and it means like a doorway or a border. Oh, and when you're caught in between, you're not really bound by the rules of either place. So when you're on holiday, you will try food you've never tried before. You yeah. will wear less clothes, fewer clothes, less clothes. Yeah. Not as much clothes as you normally do. People will engage in sexual behaviour they wouldn't normally do at home. People will get random tattoos. All these things that you can only really explain as a kind of moment of temporary madness, they seem to happen on holiday all the time. And so there's this idea of the liminal... Is that why people get engaged there? Yeah. People make impulse decisions. People decide to go bungee jumping off the side of some dodgy old building. (laughs) They would never do that at home. But when you're on holiday, normal rules don't apply. And money's like that. It's not real yeah. money, it's holiday money. And who knows what the euro exchange rate really is? I mean, no, it's not as good as it used to be, but nobody really knows. So that's not really a pound. It's, it's only up I wondered whether it was just secretly most people are terrible at maths. Yeah. yeah. But surely there are whole holiday destinations which are built around not putting people in a liminal state and going, it's exactly like your house. You won't have to try foreign food. You won't have to have any yeah. exciting experiences. It's going to be like your house, but sunny. Yeah, that's what a lot of people want. And you can, you can split tourists along this kind of spectrum from the people who want to do crazy stuff to the people who just want some better weather, but they Mm. want everything else to be the same. And that explains why Benidorm is such a big destination, because Mm. you can go there with people you know, meet other people just like you, but the great thing is you don't have to go to work the next morning. And that's enough of a break for a lot of people. The weather's nicer, you've still got your access to healthcare, you don't have yeah. to worry about these things. Oh, and, and that's, that's a not reason just a class divide thing, no, I don't think. There are very high-end ways of going somewhere to do nothing. Yeah, mm. if you're used to living in a luxury environment, yeah. you can go and live in another luxury environment 
great if you've got a concierge in your riverside oh. development in london where you can go and stay in a hotel that has a reception and actually you're very used to those kind of interactions i feel genuinely mm. more relaxed just hearing you talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of a concierge i find it mm. odd that people like better weather i only ever go on holiday to cold places uh, yeah I hate wearing bikinis <laughs> yeah anyway now have you got a question uh, yes Often in stories and films and things, you'll see a town building something for tourism mm-hmm. and it'll go horribly wrong. But has there ever been anyone who's built something so bad it was essentially reverse tourism and driven people away? Oh, God, I don't, I don't like, know. Like, say, Crawley's first rat crematorium. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the problem is you'd, you'd never find out. I mean, you've got that kind of the Banksy Dismaland mm. thing. Was that in Western? Was it Western yeah. Sydney? Yeah. Uh, and to build a, a theme park that was so kind of dystopian that no one would like it in the mm. full knowledge that everyone would come because it was so awful and it was so cool to go. But I don't know if anyone's ever built a... a an attraction so bad it sent people away. So bad that no one would ever, no one would ever go <laughs> there again. You can't do one bad enough that people won't come. Yeah, because no. it'll, it'll yeah. go round the horseshoe to ironically yeah. call you. I would be that. Yeah, if it, it was that bad. It would have to be mm. boring. My final question is: Who visits stately homes and why? <laughs> <laughs> who visits stately? People visit stately homes. Yeah, why? people. People love stately homes. They're they are the most important part of our tourism industry, probably. No, it's <gasps> when you ask. International tourists, why did you come to the UK? It's the heritage, it's the historic buildings, and they're not just talking about coming and standing outside you know, Westminster. They're talking about visiting the kinds of places they've seen in adaptations of Jane Austen things. It's coach loads of tourists being bussed out of London to go to places in like Kent and Surrey to just go and be in an old building. And, you know, I think as domestic tourists... I think we think about these things much more in terms of like the National Trust and English heritage yeah. and like take your own flask and have a picnic. Whereas international tourists see this much more of here's a chance to be in these amazing buildings, which they, they, they basically think they're all palaces. Which stately home is the most haunted? Ooh. Which one's got the most ghosts? The most, ooh. Oh, God. Come on, as a tourism expert, yeah, you must yeah, know where yeah, all yeah. the And I research... I research <laughs> he's not going to let that out. No, but the thing is, I do, I do research dark tourism, which is like tourism associated with death and disaster and things like that. One of the bits of research that was really interesting a few years ago from Visit Britain was about tourists from China and some other East Asian tourists, Vietnamese tourists, for example who didn't like to stay in big old country house hotels yeah. because they're worried about ghosts. Well, High Spirits is mm. basically a documentary. <laughs> and they, they preferred to stay in, like, a Novotel yeah. because at least it was all new and, and clean and friendly. Oh, but yeah. have the most haunted, people have the died most haunted it, house. Yeah. It'd be in Pluckley. Okay. <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the ghosts are. Well, thank you very much. Um, have you got anything to pluck, Nat? Oh, yes. I'm uh, crowdfunding a book, please, Unbound. It's called Dishonourable Member. What's it about? Mm. It's the fictional diaries of the MP character I've been doing for ages. Oh. Jessica, have you got anything to plug? I have. I've got a podcast all about eating called Hoovering. Lots of interesting conversations into eating. Why is it called Hoovering? Uh, It's a slang term for eating. I've never heard. (laughs) Uh, And James, have you got anything to plug? On the 4th and the 5th of June at the University of Greenwich, we're hosting the Tourism Symposium which is the Tourism Society for the UK's annual get-together. Loads of industry people talking, talking about tourism in the UK. It goes on for two or three days. It'll be fantastic. Come, come to that. Thank you very much.
thanks to my guests James Cannell, Jessica Foster Q and Nat Tapley any stupid questions was written and presented by me Danielle Ward and produced by Ed Morris you can follow us on Twitter at any stupid cues and of course you can tell everyone in the world about us via the usual methods thank you for listening goodbye hopefully my throat will be better next episode unless this is the last episode in which case it'll be better by the next series <laughs>